Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God. And we've been in Hosea for a couple of weeks now, going through that. Hosea is one of the minor prophets. Uh, it is a unique book of the Bible because it's talking about a prophet of God who was told to marry a harlot. <laughs> and then... And then, but this is symbolic. There's all kinds of arguments, and we talked about it in the earlier shows, and you can go back to our archives and, and see some of the uh, earliest comments on Hosea. And we always try to incorporate this in with things that are going on in the news and things that are going on in our life today, because if you're talking about somebody who was a prophet thousands of years ago, then you're thinking, well, what does it have to do with me today? Well, Hosea has... Everything to do with you today has everything to do with Revelations. Revelation talks about a harlot. Uh, the Bible talks about the bride of Christ. It's full of these symbols and metaphors and allegories that are trying to impart to you things about the spiritual reality of life. Because the Spirit giveth life. The metaphor, the letter, does not. And you will be amazed, possibly by the end of this show, of how completely the deception of the people of the world has been. And uh, what we can do about it to uh, change the course of things. We were in Hosea 10 uh, last week, and um, at least we got through 8 and 9, and... Uh, and we got into into 10 a little bit. But uh, I'm going to go back to 9 for a little bit of review. Because there's a, a couple of words that keep appearing in Hosea. And don't appear anywhere else in the Bible. And they are commonly misunderstood by people. Uh, th- there's references in the New Testament to the same kind of thing. But of course the New Testament is written in Greek. And they translate things a little bit different. But in Hosea, they commonly translate some words, reward. Reward, as we see in number 9, in chapter number 9, where it starts off, Rejoice not, O Israel, for joy as other people, for thou hast gone a whoring from thy God. Thou hast loved a reward Upon every corn floor. And that corn floor word is, is the threshing floor. And we see it again in the next verse. The floor. That means the threshing floor. And the wine press. Now the fr- threshing floor is where you put all the grain and wheat, uh, somewhere, you know, on a hard piece of ground, hopefully on a rocky ground that's solid rock. And then you beat it with flails. And uh, you break the wheat or the oats or the barley away from the chaff and then you can winnow it. And they use that symbolism of winnowing where you throw the grain up in the air when it's breezy out 
and it blows the chaff away, and the only thing that falls down to the earth again is the grain. And it's the way of separating the wheat from the chaff, the chaff being the, the husk and, and the straw that is connected to the wheat. And so all these symbols we see over and over again, and we are about to live through a time of the threshing floor where we're beaten and blown with wind and separating the wheat, which is the good stuff, from the chaff. And the wine press presses out the grapes in a way that allows the juice of the grapes to be saved and uh, separates out the seeds of the grapes, etc., so that they can make good wine. But it says, The floor and the wine press shall not feed them, and the new wine shall fail in her. Well, again, like I say, in Hosea, he's using some words that you don't see anywhere else in the Bible. And one of those I said is the word reward is from, uh, in this particular verse, is from uh, a word ethanon, which is elef, tav, nun, nun. And uh, it, that those, those words all have, uh, those letters all have a meaning. And uh, like the elef is the father-son relationship. It's the paradox of God and man. And the Tav is the seal of faith, the seal of a higher kingdom or realm. If you go back and you listen to our shows on the mysteries of the kingdom, the apostles were given all kinds of extra instructions you do not find in the parables. But most of the Bible is the parables. There's very little reference in the Bible to hell and heaven. We see these uh, this seal, this uh, malchut, this kingdom of uh, God is based on this faith. And Tav is the letter of faith. Uh, it links the unseen world of the kingdom of heaven in the spiritual sense. And it's a doorway to the world in which we are. And of course the kingdom of heaven was at hand because Christ was the door. Again, these metaphors of opening a door to this other side. And so we see this word uh, uh, used about 11 times, mostly in Hosea. And uh, it has to do with hiring or reward. It's what you get paid for doing something. But it specifically, because of the arrangement of the letters specifically has to do with the reward of prostitution, where you prostitute yourself, where you go to the harlot. You don't go to the bride of Christ, which is supposed to be the church, but you have relationships, contractual, uh, marital-type relationships with another institution, uh, a harlot. That's the institution that he's talking about. And, of course, as we said from the beginning and talking about Hosea, this was a time when the two kingdoms split, where the people said to Rehoboam, who said, My father whipped you with whips, and I shall whip you with scorpions. He said to them, You know, what does David do us? And they went back to their tents. They didn't go back to their cities. And that became known as Israel, this separate kingdom, often referred to as Ephraim. And uh, and then there was Judah, which is the ones who followed the king and stayed with the king. And then Judah 
was those who were basically occupying Judea at the, the their descendants were op, uh, occupying Judea when Jesus came and became the king of Judea which was agreed to by Rome Rome said this is the king of Judea official document of Rome written on ebony wood covered in plaster so that you had white background with black letters showing through the uh, plaster that said this is the king of the Jews and he wrote it in three languages because it was an official document it wasn't a broken piece of wood up there because the Pharisees you know some people you know that's what you commonly see on crucifixes is this like little broken piece of wood with couple of letters on it but it was written in three languages this is the king of the Jews an official statement where Pontius Pilate was recognizing that Jesus was the official king of the Jews but the hierarchy of the Jews which really should not have been in place they should not have been a legislative body were rejecting Jesus Christ now the people we know did not reject Jesus Christ Many thousands and thousands of people accepted Jesus Christ as the king, got the baptism of Jesus Christ, opposing the baptism of Herod, and entered into a institution of free will offerings, not taxation, but free will offerings. This is why they were trying to trip them up. Is it lawful to even pay the tax? Because they knew that a lot of the followers of Jesus were idiotists. That's the word they use in the Greek. And we have articles up on that. Meaning they were unregistered. Peter was unregistered. Jesus was probably un- unregistered. He went, when he was uh, uh, born, his parents took him to Bethlehem to be registered. Or they went to Bethlehem and they were supposedly to register him. But uh, did they? Because we know an angel appeared to him and said, you better get out of town. And they headed to Egypt. So maybe Jesus was unregistered too. I mean, it would appear that would be a reasonable assumption based on the text. Because in the middle of the night, all of a sudden Peter's told, you got to get out of town because Herod's looking for you. And it wants to kill the baby. Just like we see way back in ancient uh, writings about Abraham. When Abraham was born, a prophet prophesied that Abraham would lead the people out of the bondage of Ur and Haran. And uh, and they tried to kill him. And he had to hide in a cave. <laughs> that's, the, that's the ancient Jewish writings uh, about Abraham tell us those stories. But anyway, the, the fact is, is that many of the apostles evidently were idiotes, which means unregistered, does not mean unlearned. We have a whole article that explains why we say that, and you can look it up with lots of footnotes. So we're trying to bring a certain amount of knowledge to you, but what we really want to do is open that door to the kingdom of heaven. So that you draw near the kingdom of heaven. And the way you do that is through sacrifice. And the first thing you have to sacrifice is your delusion. The strong delusion that keeps you from understanding the Bible. Uh, somebody introduced me to a minister by the name of Steve Smotherman. They sent a link to my wife and my wife was listening to it. And we sat down and listened to him for a while. But I really haven't listened to him a lot 
But he was talking a lot about the state of modern Christendom in relationship to government. So it was kind of interesting to listen to him. And he was talking about how there are so many of the liberal media and liberal politicians that are moving, not just moving, but um, actually advocating not only socialism, but even Marxism. Of course, Black Lives Matter as the institution is advocating Marxism, openly saying they are Marxists and trained Marxists. And are advocating that. And if you go through their policy, which I actually I heard that they've taken it down. <laughs> what they believe, they've taken it off their website. But I'm sure people have got copies of it. Uh, they believed in many of the things that are right out of uh, the Communist Manifesto. And uh, uh, Karl Marx's writings. We have a page up on the Communist Manifesto at Preparing You. And we go through all ten planks of the Communist Manifesto, and we show pretty obviously, with lots of live links, that uh, will take you to other articles. So you can just click on these links, and they'll they'll take you to articles on inheritance tax, and employment, and legal title. I'm just looking at them real quick here, and uh, and it also talks about confiscation of property of all immigrants and rebels. And, uh, which is asset forfeiture laws that have come in and the Patriot Act and, and, uh, we actually take you to, uh, section 666 of Title 42 and we have an article on that and that's a fascinating article. You, you, you don't realize how far down the road of prophecy we already are. A lot of people are talking about what's going to come. You know, they're going to have the mark of the beast. And uh, everybody's going to have to get it if they want to do business. And uh, they want to want to buy things and go into banking and and uh, have a credit card and a debit card and a checking account and a job. You're going to have to have this, uh, this mark of the beast. Well, Title 42, Section 666, I don't know why they put it in that section. You got to have a Social Security number to do all those things. Supposedly. And, uh, but they, they, they have actually got other laws about, uh, rebels confiscating their property and, uh, and even people who are immigrating to this country where, you know, that they can actually confiscate their property, but they don't actually have to take it away, which would take you back up to the, uh, first plank, uh, the Communist Man- Manifesto, which is abolishing of private property. And you think, well, they haven't done that in America yet. We can still have private property. Do you? Do you still have private property in America? We have something we call private property. But is it really private property? Private property means you own it. That nobody, you're not renting it. You own it. And uh, you don't own any private property. You don't own any land. I don't know anybody who owns any land, except for God owns a few pieces here and there. <laughs> but I don't know any people that own any land. I know people have legal title to land, but legal title is an apparent title that carries with it no beneficial interest or beneficial use or the right to use the property. That's right in the definition of a legal title. It does not include the right to use the property. 
and you know you don't have the right to use the property if you have to pay a use tax on the property. That's the law. I'm not making it up. We have articles. Of, but that may seem to go over your head and they say, well, what does this have to do with the Bible? Well, it has everything to do with Hosea. Because he's talking, this word reward, and we'll get into that, talks about being depossessed. Where you don't have inheritance. You don't have a right to stuff. I mean, if there's an inheritance tax in the state in which you live or the country in which you live, you don't own your stuff. It means if you die, you don't get first dibs. Your kids don't get first dibs on it. The government does. If you have to pay property tax on your land, you don't own it. You have a legal title. That's not private property. That's public property you're allowed to use as long as you pay the use tax. You think you own it? Stop paying the use tax for a couple of years. In different states, it's a different period of time. But a lot of states, it's about three years of not paying the property tax. And they come and take the whole property away from you. In most states, they uh, they will sell your property that you thought you had a private property right to. They will sell it on the open market in auction. And if you owed, say, $20,000 worth of taxes and they sold the property for $200,000, you don't get $80,000. <laughs> you don't get anything. <laughs> they keep all the money. They sold your property because you were delinquent $12,000 or $20,000 and they sold it for $200,000 and they keep all the money. Some states will let you have some of the money, but usually there's nothing left after all the fees and fines and and expenses of selling your property. But uh, in Oregon, they actually nullify your legal title. They nullify it. And then they sell your property and you don't get a dime. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you, there is no private property. There's the strong delusion of private property. And the point of the article we have up on the Communist Manifesto is to show you that all ten planks of the Communist Manifesto are law in the United States today. All ten planks. And, and we go through them step by step. It's not very long articles because it's pretty easy to clarify. But then, like I say, we have, you know, uh, government-controlled labor. Uh, boy, I mean, who's who's enforcing the mask mandates in your state? A lot of places, it's OSHA. They're not going around and fining people, although they'll get a few county or city ordinances that will fine people for not wearing a mask. But usually the state comes in and forces the businesses to make people wear a mask and they use OSHA to do it, which is they control employment. And so therefore they'll go in and they'll say that the employer has to make you wear a mask and you have to make the customers wear a mask or they can't be in the store because the customers are dangerous. It's it's nonsense. It's complete nonsense. But the reason, and I'm sure a lot of you who are realizing that masks are nonsense, you're just stunned at how adamant people are. I mean, the people, you know, if you're not wearing a mask, they they like yell at you and they try to shame you and they seem so angry that you're not wearing a mask. Even though a virus can't, you can't stop a virus with a mask. 
You might slow the spread, but from the very beginning, all your top epidemiologists, Leonides, uh, uh, Cahill, uh, uh, Newt, all, all these different guys who are out there talking about this. I mean, these are guys who invented the whole idea of tracing viruses and following viruses and how viruses are spread and everything. These are the top people in the field. They're not bureaucrats like Fauci. They were saying if you prolong this virus passing through the community and through society, more people will die. And now they've come out and and made clear statements and, and reports that the shutdowns are not effective and, and preventing the spread, because you can't really prevent this spread. You can prolong it. But, of course, that's the goal of some people was to prolong it to the election so that they would not be able to vote in person so they can cloud the election. They are desperate to get Trump out of power. Now, I admit Trump is not your salvation. I'm shocked that somebody like Trump had to run for presidency because you don't have anybody better. I'm shocked. But the reality is the whole idea, and if you go back and listen to our contracts, covenants and constitutions, or covenants of the gods, uh, you've already, this is why I'm pointing out to all these people who were talking to the Steve uh, Smotherman, and he was asking, do you, are you for Marxism? And they're all saying, no, no, we're against it. Are you for socialism? No, no, we're against it. The reality is, is they aren't against it. They they are for public education. That's in the Communist Manifesto. Paid for by forcing your neighbor to pay for your child's education through a system of men who exercise authority and and compel you to give them money so that they can pay for your child's education. Now, there was free education in America at one time. Even before the Constitution in the 1600s, you could go to college and you wouldn't even have to take out a student loan. You could be the poorest of poor and you could go to college at Harvard, at Princeton. If you could keep up the grades, you could go to those colleges free. And when you came out, you had no student loan to pay off. That was America. Now the people have a better idea. They're going to make America great again. But they don't even know what made America great. It was the fact that all those schools were built and paid for by charity. Private entrepreneurs funding them, funding the education, taking care of one another, loving their neighbor as themselves. We don't do that anymore. We love the government, not our neighbor. And we'll talk more about this when we return to Keys of the Kingdom. So welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So I was talking about this uh, this idea of reward. These are the benefits. that, And in the New Testament, they refer to it as the wages of unrighteousness. And if, if we see the same or a similar uh, variation of the same word in Hosea 8 and 9. Now in Hosea 2, let's see, verse 12, it says, And I will destroy her vines. And her fig trees, whereof hath said, they are my reward that my lovers have given me, and I will make them a forest, and the beasts of the field shall eat them. 
And I will visit upon her the days of Balaam, wherein she burned incense to them, and she decked herself with her carryings and her jewels, and she went after her lovers and forgate me, forgot me, saith the Lord. Now, that's, that's what they're, they're talking about way back in Hosea 2, this, these rewards of Balaam. And of course, what, what are the wages of unrighteousness but the rewards of Balaam? And Balaam in the New Testament in Revelations is equated with the error of the Nicolaitans and the error of Balaam. And we've, we show in our articles on the Nicolaitans and, and Balaam that uh, both these words from different languages mean the conquered people. Lam meaning people. Laetans, laity, people. Nico, conquer. And Bal, conquer. So, Balaam, Nicolaitan, they mean the same thing. It's the same error. What is that error? How are they conquered? They are conquered by the offer of benefits at the expense of their neighbor, which is the covetous practices that makes people merchandise, Peter talks about. And, of course, we don't just force our neighbor to pay pay for our public education, our health care, take care of our parents through these systems of social welfare by men who exercise authority rather than do it like we used to do it in America through charity. It was all, all welfare was through charity, which is why on the free church report, you go back a thousand years and we have... Lady Godiva on the front cover of the Free Church Report because Lady Godiva never took off her clothes and rode down the street naked. That story was made up a hundred years or more after her death. What she did was take off her wealth. She was one of the wealthiest people in Great Britain. She, she was a widow, but her husband was very rich and she inherited his land which is something you could do in England. A woman could inherit land in England. And she inherited this huge estate. And she married a Norman who was also extremely wealthy. But it was subject to a king since 1066 when the Normans came and there was a king in Great Britain which demanded oaths of fealty from many of the people in Great Britain. Not all of the people in Great Britain took that oath of fealty. Many were un- idiotes, were unregistered. Many Saxons were unregistered. They did not fight against William the Conqueror. Therefore, they did not have to take an oath of fealty to William the Conqueror. But the husband of Lady Godiva was a Norman. He had already taken an oath of fealty to the king. So when the king came along and said... I want you to tax the people to give money to the church because the church was in charge of social welfare. That's the care of the widows and orphans and needy of society. That's that's pure religion to take care of the orphans and needy and uh, of your society and widows, men, women whose husbands have died and they need help or they may starve to death. So the church would take care of them. That's that's pure religion taking care of we know that from the new testament 
But it's only pure if it's unspotted by the world. Right? That's what it says, unspotted by the world. But if you don't know that the word world there and that verse means constitutional orders or systems of government, you don't know what they mean by unspotted. Well, the king was saying we want to tax the people to provide money for the church to take care of the needy of society. Take care of the needy of society is a good thing. But if you do it through a system that exercises authority one over the other, through the systems of government that you create for yourself or become subject to, your religion's not unspotted anymore. It's very much spotted. It's not done by charity. It's not done by free will offerings. You get the, the poor get taken care of. And the widows get taken care of and the orphans get taken care of. But it's not pure religion. It's socialism, which leads to Marxism. You see? So, Lady Godiva said, no, we can't do this. We can't tax the people. And her husband said, I've got to come up with the money. And they say to tax the people to get it. She says, I will give my money. I will strip my wealth off and I will pay the money. And he says, if you do this, I will match what you do. So he took his money and she took her money and they she became the patron saint of architects. <laughs> you didn't know that, probably. <laughs> that Lady Godiva became the patron saint of architects. Because she built hospitals and libraries and schools for the people to take care of the needy of society. That's, that's what they did. That's how schools were built. The charity. And yeah, they might add tuition at schools, but if you couldn't pay it, it was the policy in schools back in the 1600s and 1500s and 1300s and 1200s. That if you couldn't pay, they would wanted to open up a school. I just saw, uh, we, we looked at some, uh, old movies recently of Jane Eyre and Sinjin. Uh, St. John would be a way of translating Sinjin, who was in, evidently her half cousin. When he came to the parish as a minister, there were no schools for the poor. So he started a school for young men. Uh, who were poor, so that they could learn to read and write. That was the church doing that. They started it not with government funds, but with private donations. And now with Jane Eyre, he wanted to start one for the girls, and that's what she did. She started teaching the girls. Paid 30 pounds a year, I think it was, or something like that. And, And room and board, and she had a schoolhouse that the people built. And uh, she could teach the girls reading and writing. All charity. All people free will offerings. Taking care of the needy of their society. That's pure religion. But if you go to men who exercise authority one over the other. Who call themselves benefactors. But only build schools with money that they force their neighbor to take care of. That's not pure religion. That's spotted religion. All those people listening to Steve do that. Now, 
I don't know. I only listened to a few minutes of this minister, Steve, who was talking. And he's certainly on the right track. But does he have enough knowledge to realize that if you want to draw closer to God, if you want to walk through the door of Christ, if you want to seek the kingdom of heaven, which is on the other side of that door, that you have to live by faith. Not force. You have to live by charity. Not fealty. Do you, do you see the difference? And this is what Hosea is saying. That Israel went off and created these other systems to take care of their needs. I mean, you got whole nations of people going back to their tents, but they still have to be a nation, you know. There, there could be other people that attack them. There could be hardships. There could be hard times. Uh you know, husbands die, widows are left, families need help. How did they handle that? Well, if they didn't handle it through faith, hope, and charity, then they, but they created systems of authority, set our, setting up tribal chiefs who would force everybody to give and pay in. David was tempted to do that. He needed money for his army. Saul needed money for his army. And he forced an offering. And that was called foolish by Samuel. Today, all our armies are supported by, um, I shouldn't say that, not all of our armies are supported by forced offerings. There is an army that's not supported by forced offerings. That's the militia. <laughs> but it's not a well-regulated militia. <laughs> It's a disorganized militia. And the reason why, and we pointed this out before in the early days, like in Virginia, uh, that they had the, their wards and the wards composed up counties and the counties eventually composed the state. But the wards were referred to as republics and the counties were referred to as republics so that the state could call itself a republic. But they built schools. Who built them? The militia. They built roads. Who built them? The militia. Where did they get the money to do it? Volunteer offerings. Occasionally they'd build a toll bridge or a toll road. And uh, they, the, they would charge money for the use of that road until they paid back the money that the militia borrowed to build the road. And then eventually the local people would maintain the road, hopefully. And if they maintained the road, their fields would prosper. Their families would prosper because they would be able to trade with other communities. But in in uh, Hosea 2, he's saying that, uh, no, he's going to destroy your vines and your fig trees. You're not going to prosper. You're not going to have fruit. In Hosea 8 and, 9, uh, 8 and verse 9 and 10, he says, For they are gone up to Assyria, to the Asurus. And we have a link there so you know what they mean when they say Assyria. That's the merchants, the men that make you merchandise. The the Canaanites, that's what Canaanites were. They were men who make, could make you merchandise. They used this same system that Israel was starting to use. That's why he says they went up to Assyria. A wild ass alone by himself, Ephraim, hath hired lovers. And he uses that same word, uh, ethna, except for it, it's not uh, elef, thav, atav, nun, nun, but elef, tav, nun, hey. 
And once you understand the letters, then you start, you can actually just read the letters and understand what they're talking about if you can understand the meaning of words. But it's defined as reward. It's from the word that means hired, which is this tov nun hey. But when they put the elef on the front, what they're talking about, elef being that word that is both God and man, they're saying they're making other men gods. You know, they're gods many. They are, they are developing a relation, a hired relationship with other men. That's when you start setting up kings. Men, those benefactors who exercise authority. You, men like Saul, they elected Saul and, and Samuel said, Saul's gonna take the, the, whatever king you elect, eventually he's gonna take and take and take and take and take because you've hired this king to exercise authority over you and over your neighbor and he has too much power and that power corrupts him. Before you know it, he's forcing an offering, taxing you to support his army. David comes along and he's not that way, but he has one guy who refuses, a wealthy guy refuses to support his army. And he is just so upset he's headed that way to force him to support his army. But that's a sin. That was wrong. And fortunately that man's wife runs out and meets him and pleads with him and gives him some food and and, and support. And he repents of the idea of forcing because it's important that people sacrifice such as build a school. We have a local school here. It's abandoned now. It's full of poison. And uh, it's a one-room schoolhouse that was built by the people. We have another one that was partially built by the people but also built by tax dollars. It was also abandoned. <laughs> it's been turned into a house. Uh, but then now they have a school uh, in North Lake County that the land was donated by a private individual, but the building and all the teachers are now paid by taxation. That's a different way than the way of Christ. It's a different way than the way of America that made America great. It's 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 that covetous practice that you exercise by electing men who exercise authority and forcing your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. Right now in North Lake County, they have uh, EMTs and they have ambulances and it's all voluntary and supported by voluntary contributions. And they're now wanting to appeal to the county commissioners to put it on the tax rolls. To make every penny pay like two or three extra dollars in taxes. I don't remember exactly what the amount is. It'll actually be more than that. It's, uh, I think it's uh, two or three extra dollars for every thousand dollars of, of property they think they own. You know, that private property we talked about. They don't really own it. Because <laughs> now somebody, if you don't pay that extra couple of bucks, you know, if you, if you have a uh, $100,000 property, you know, you're going to have to pay an extra 20 or $30. If you have a uh, $300,000 property, you're going to have to pay several hundred dollars. And they will have enough money to fund the ambulance. They won't have to depend upon charity anymore. They will be able to force their neighbor to pay into it. And they say, it's just a few bucks. You know, it's just like, it's just a mask. Just wear the mask. You know, just... Just pay the tax. You know, go along to get along. 
But what they don't know is that they're closing the door to the kingdom of heaven. That's actually what they're doing. And now this is the metaphysical thing. I don't know if we have time to get in. Well, we'll, 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 we'll take you there a little ways. You close that door. These are spiritual doors you're closing. You're, you're closing spiritual doors with physical deeds. That's why God hates the deeds of the Nicolaitans. So therefore he hates the deeds of the Balaam. You know, the conquered people. And how are they conquered? Because they look to men who exercise authority one over the other and they ask those men to take away from their neighbor so that they can have ambulances. Free education. It's not free education. It's a very expensive education. (laughs) But they don't have to pay in much because they force their neighbor to contribute. They're closing a spiritual door which will keep them from the knowledge of God. Oh, they'll, they'll be able to read their Baltimore Catechism and they'll be able to memorize things in the Bible. And be, but they won't see. They won't know God. They will think they know God. And Jesus says, many will say they know me, but I know them not. And they don't know me. Just like the Pharisees did not know Moses. They studied Moses. They read the Torah. But they did not know Moses. Why? Because of their Corban. Their Corban was making the word of God, the Torah, that they were reading to none effect. What was their Corban? It was their sacrifice. That's what Corban means. Their sacrifice. The sacrifice of the Pharisees was making the word of God to none effect. Why? Because it was a compelled offering. Because the people had signed up for a system set up by Herod. They had registered to get the benefits the rewards of unrighteousness, the same rewards that Hosea is talking about. And because they wanted those rewards, they were going to have their vineyards destroyed. Other people would eat the fruit of their labor. Foreigners will come in and eat the fruit of their labor. I think that Steve, I don't know if he's called Pastor Steve. Like I said, I only watched him for a few minutes, but uh, you know, he was talking about immigrants and uh, they're going to I think he was mentioning the fact that they were going to uh, have health care for the the illegal immigrants if it wasn't them it was maybe Liz Wheeler or somebody like that was talking about it and uh, that's going to be at the taxpayer's expense well that should be at the taxpayer's expense because the taxpayer has already before the illegal immigrant got here Look to men who exercise authority one over the other to take care of them. Now, people say, well, I don't. I don't want to covet my neighbor's goods. I don't want to take those benefits. I don't want to be dependent upon the government to to take care of me and my family. This whole shutdown has made more people dependent upon the government than probably FDR. <laughs> but but the, the solution isn't not wanting to take the benefit. The solution is what Christ was talking about. Christ was talking about becoming the benefit. You have to become the benefactors of one another through pure religion that do not exercise authority one over the other. That's where the road back, that's where repentance takes you. You have to start doing what Christ actually commanded us to do. 
which was to love one another as he loved us. How did he love us? He sacrificed himself that we might be free, that we might be saved, that we might have the endowed rights of God bestowed upon us again. If we don't, if you just don't like taxes, I can find those guys everywhere. You may have to pay your tally of bricks. But for your benefits, you may have to glean in the field at night. You may have to work a little overtime. You may have to do a little extra sacrificing. This is what Hosea is talking about. And truth is, and we'll eventually see it as we go through the other minor prophets. That's what they were all talking about, as well as Isaiah and and, uh, Ezekiel. You know, they they talk about them. I guess they call them major prophets because their books are so much longer than minor prophets. But they all have the same message of turning around and going the other way. So anyway, we've we've done a little bit of review, and actually, I've uh, just to give you all a heads up, I've put a lot more stuff on the Hosea nine page that that we've already gone through. A lot more uh, links talking about not only the word reward and showing you its origin, showing you where it appears in other parts of the Bible, or at least in other parts of Hosea, because most of it's in Hosea, because the reward they're talking about is the reward that a harlot gets. And that's what most modern Christians are getting. When they're getting the benefits from the government, they're getting the benefits from the harlot, uh, or the beast that the harlot rides because they've all gone back to Assyria and they've become merchandise. So when they, you see that word, the things in Assyria, they're talking about the Surus who make men merchandise. They're the merchants of men that there's talked about in Revelations and talked about earlier in the days of Abraham. They make men merchandise and, and then men curse their children with that same status of being human resources. That's what a merch, that's when you become a human resource, you are merchandise. You don't own your land, you don't own your labor, you don't own your children, because you've gone down this other road. Now, not liking that, that's fine. But if you want to get back to freedom under God, you can't just, you know, shake your fist at Marxism. And say bad things about socialism. This is the problem is that the leftists are extremely socialist and, and, and Marxist. But the right, <laughs> they're Marxist too. They're socialist too. They're just not as extreme. Now, you're only going to find a few people that actually want to go back to what made America great, which is when we took care of all education, all social welfare, all of our parents, all of the poor and needy of our society through charity. Like Lady Godiva said, like Jesus Christ said, like Hosea is saying, like Samuel was saying, you don't do it through force. You do it through love, which is the same word they also translate into charity. And you're not doing that. And the only way you can practically do that is to do what Christ commanded the early church to do and what the early church did do and what the modern church does not do. 
They sat down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands in a network that took care of one another. Now, a lot of people are realizing the power of networking. I I know there are some people that read the Bible and study the Bible, and they say there's nothing in the Bible about networking. You know, like, I mean, I was speechless when he said that. I thought, like, wow, he can't see it. It's all about networking. Israel was a network. Uh, The early church was a network, sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, in ranks of tens, hundreds, and thousands. Ten families, one minister, ten ministers, pick another minister, which is an overseer of a hundred, because he's he's taking care of the ten ministers, but they're taking care of the ten congregants in free assemblies. And they're doing it all by charity, not by collecting a social security check from men who exercise authority, by doing it all through charity. How close to that are you? Because that sacrifice makes the word of God to effect. The sacrifice of men who exercise authority makes the word of God to none effect. And so if the word of God is made to none effect, you're, you're going, you know, your fields are going to dry up. You're not going to own your land. You're not going to own yourself. You're going to return to the bondage of Egypt. That's what it says. What will ye do in the solemn day, in the day of the feast of the Lord? For lo, they are gone because of destruction. Egypt shall gather them up. That's where we've gone. That's where we have arrived at. Now, so how do we turn around? Well, we'll get into verse uh, chapter 10. And we'll take a look and see what we can learn in chapter 10 when we return to Keys of the Kingdom. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, we're talking about Hosea, but we're really talking about the Kingdom of God. And we're talking about the doorway to the Kingdom of God. I I recently attended a funeral of somebody who committed suicide. Young man committed suicide. I talked about him last week. But uh, I hadn't been to the funeral yet, did the show. And when we were at the funeral, there were people talking about him, friends of his from up in Portland. He had lived in Portland for a while. Grew up here. I knew him when he was born. I knew him uh, when he, uh, the first words out of his mouth, uh, I was there. But uh, he lived apart from us for a long time, didn't... Uh, wasn't a part of uh, a real church or anything like that. Neither was his family. Uh, it, they went through divorce. He had a lot of trauma in his life. But uh, really what the problem was is he did not see a value in, in living. He, he is, is the vine that withered. And uh, he's very close in age and cousins to my grandsons. And they were hit really hard when they found that that he committed suicide. But why did he commit suicide? Why did he fall prey to such depression? Well, he lacked meaning in his life, that's for sure. He was obsessed with video games. Had been since, I mean, the very first words out of his mouth before mom and dad was Super Mario. And uh, he was obsessed with video games, played them a lot. He worked also, but uh, he was actually a pretty... uh, 
nice kid. He was always joking around. If you got into, if anybody got depressed or started dealing with life issues, he would make jokes and liven up the party. And both myself and my wife, when we were listening to all the comments that people were making, we were thinking of Robin Williams who was always the life of the party, always making jokes, always going over to the funny side. And to some degree, you know, I make jokes, and uh, I, but it's usually after a long and serious conversation uh, about some important things in life. And because sometimes you need that little break. But some people make those jokes because they're running from the truth about life. Running from the pain that often has to be endured in order to deal with the trauma that has gotten inside of you. You have to see that trauma. You have to visit that trauma. And, and it often requires trust in a friend who takes your hand and helps you deal with that trauma. Uh great deal of his friends are avoiding the trauma, avoiding the truth, avoiding reality in video games, in uh, drug use, and, you know, smoking marijuana. They're escaping. Like one guy who told me once that uh, Chu helps him deal with stress. And I said, no, it doesn't. It helps you not deal with stress. Uh, smoking. Smoking marijuana, smoking cigarettes, drinking, alcohol, drugs, all these things are helping you not deal with the stress that is in you. And what what that stress is often the result of is trauma not dealt with as you were growing up or in your life. And we have to learn to deal with that. We need to deal with that. It's like going into a dark cave. And uh, you need a light with you that you take with you to see in the darkness of the cave. You need eyes to see. You need that light to guide you. And what puts out that light? Where does that light come from? You know, Satan is called a light bearer. He brings the light, but it only shows what he wants you to see. Like all those people who were saying, no, we don't want Marxism. No, we don't want socialism in church and everything. Yet they are all socialists and Marxists. Maybe not to the degree that Stalin uh, produced communism and Marxism or Lenin. You know, Lenin started out believing in private property. Then he realized, I can't, I can't do what I want to do with Marxism if I allow people to have private property. So I have to take private property away. And how did he get to do that? Is he got the people to take the private property away from the other people. You know, the kulaks uh, got all our property stolen from them. And uh, that, that, that was essential. And uh, they said, well, you need to take it away. And that's what we see in these Marxists and socialists on the street is they... They, they will burn your property down. They don't want, they know they can't get away with stealing it. They try to do that in Chaz, kinda. But they, they will burn it down if they can't have it. They will destroy it. And of course that's what Hosea is talking about, this spirit of destruction. It's, God's not gonna destroy it. But the gods many of the world will destroy it. They will rather destroy the nation. Destroy everything that you built up. Destroy the vineyards. If they can't have control of it. And that's what you see actually in the Democratic Party. Not 
not advocating the Republican Party because like I just said, they're just, they're just not as extreme. They're savages too. They're just not perfected in their savagery. <laughs> so, so, but you see the Democratic Party got to destroy Trump because Trump's talking about individual rights and, and, uh, and choices and things like that. I mean, he's just talking about them. I don't really see them coming too much our way. He did deregulate a lot of stuff and the business did improve, but we're all still within this, this bubble of the Federal Reserve, which is what they talk about here in Hosea 10. Believe it or not, did you know they were talking about a Federal Reserve in Hosea 10? <laughs> probably, nobody has ever told you that. If, there, if anybody's ever, you can go probably look in all the commentaries and nobody's going to tell you that. But let's just read it again here. Israel, Israel is a place where God prevails. It is also supposedly that kingdom that separated out from the king is an empty vine. He bringeth forth full unto her himself according to the multitude of his fruit. He hath increased the altars according to the goodness of his land. They had made goodly images. Now that is you have to really get into the metaphor and understand what he's saying and look at the individual words, but we'll accept that translation. But think outside of just those words. He talks about empty vine, yet a multitude of fruit. Israel, when it broke off, went back to their own tents and started forming their own government separate from a king, trying to emulate what they had before uh, they decided to have Saul. They began to vary and, and change and increase the altars. That means expand the altars. They were extremely successful at first because of the multitude of his fruit. But they became an empty vine spiritually. Their heart is divided. They had a little bit of the old ways, but they began to divide it. And many of those people that were listening to Steve, uh, the preacher, are divided. They, they know in their heads that Marxism is not a good thing. They know in their heads that socialism is not a good thing. But they're still doing socialism and Marxism. Now, I'm, I'm assuming that many of the people that were in that crowd may have been homeschoolers, which are kingdom tracks. Or maybe private schools, which are kingdom tracks. But that's still, they're, they're divided. I mean, who's taking care of their parents? Are they still dependent upon, you know, social welfare? Uh, or will they someday? Are they sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands becoming the social welfare of Christ? Or are they going to wait until they need help and then they're going to cry out? Yeah, you know, I had somebody writing me recently, somebody I met years ago, hasn't been in a congregation of ten. When he had the opportunity to do so and help out a widow for a few hours of work when he had the time to do it, he declined. But now he's talking about maybe he will need help. But he hasn't been there for anybody else. He's the foolish virgin who isn't you know, he's burning up his oil. He's not sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and developing the relationships necessary for a network of love. He's not doing it. 
hasn't been doing it. Years have passed and he hasn't done it. And yet, there will come a day where suddenly he wants to knock on the door and come in and the door will not be open to him. Because he's burned up his oil. And when the door is shut, he's out trying to get more oil. Because he's got nothing. Because he hasn't done what Christ said from the very beginning. Why? Something in his spirit kept him back. He procrastinated. He made excuses. Jesus talks about this. So, yeah, our hearts are divided. Okay, we need to make a commitment to the ways of Christ. In order to make that commitment to the ways of Christ, we may need to know what they are. And what they are is to live by charity, by faith, by love, by hope, not by force, fealty, and violence. Which is the way the world is going. So, we have to no longer have that divided heart and turn. For now they shall say, we have no king. Israel, remember, they said, what is David to us? And they walked away. I have a link there now to our article on no kings in Israel. There were no kings in Israel because everybody was a king in Israel. And it is fine to do what is right in your own eyes. But you need the eyes of Christ. You need the eyes of God. You need the eyes of the Holy Spirit. How do you get those eyes? How do you how do you develop them? You have to walk in the ways of Christ. And He will give you those eyes. He will write upon your heart and upon your mind. Because we feared not the Lord. They said, what is David to us? What then should a king do to us? They have spoken words swearing falsely and making a covenant. Thus judgment springeth up as hemlock in the furrows of the field. Hemlock being this poison plant in the furrows of the field. You know, we've, we've talked about this many times and I have a link there now to Article 2, Section 22 in Oregon, which is the reason we write about this is to show you that your leaders are are swearing falsely and making a covenant with you. Governor, or excuse me, Kate Brown and most of the legislatures and mayor of Portland, etc., all have violated their oath of office. They've all sworn, you know, I have a copy here of Kate Brown's oath of office saying she swears to abide by the Oregon Constitution. She has not. Clearly she has not. She has put $5 million and more in her pocket as bribes in violation of Article 2, Section 22. And so has, you know, to different degrees, so has all the other legislatures, most all the other legislatures on our page, Article 2, Section 22, we now have at least one page of a spreadsheet showing you who has violated their oath of office and who has not. All of them are felons. All of them commit a felon every day when they vote as congressmen or senators or sign executive orders. They commit another felony, uh, violate another ORS, pretending to be a governor that they are not, pretending to be a mayor that they are not. And they get away with it because you do not have eyes to see. You don't have the courage of a Christian. And so this is not just an indictment of them, 
but it's an indictment of the modern church and the modern Christian. If all those people who said they were Christians were actually doing what Christ said, this swearing falsely and making covenants would not be taking place. And there would be not, this is a hemlock in the furrows of your fields. This is poison. And nobody's doing anything about it. They're acquiescing to it. There are a few people starting to make noises. But I don't know. They're running out of time. The inhabitants of Samaria, Samaria, Samara, that means truth, shall fear because the calves of Bethhaven, Bethhaven, for the people thereof shall mourn over it. And the priests thereof that rejoiced on it for the glory thereof, because it is departed from it. So, what are they talking about? What are the calves of Bethaven? Well, you you can look up the word Bethaven. Bet, Tav, Hey, Bav, Nun. <laughs> so, uh, and find out what it is. But it's the golden calf. And the golden calf was the central bank. That's what the golden calf was. All the major city-states uh, that formed uh, these uh, temples to take care of the needy of their society and even uh, take care of their military at times had these golden statues which were referred to as the reserve fund. That's your federal... That's your Fort Knox. That's... Your gold is not in your pocket like Moses said. But it's in the treasury of your kingdom. You, you may tell me you have no king but Jesus, but you're not following what Jesus commanded. And, and the fruits of your doing is now finding you out. So you need to repent and go back the other way. So in verse 6 it says, It shall be also carried unto Assyria. Asurus made merchandise. That's what he's saying. Same thing Peter said. And the priests of your Federal Reserve, your banking system, the place where you go when you need money, you don't go to church. You go to the government or to the banks that are established by the Federal Reserve. So there's these two things. you got the Federal Reserve, this private bank, and all the other banks that are a part of it. And the reason you don't see all these connections is because the spiritual door of Christ has been closed to you. You want that door open, you have to go to the door and knock on the door as if you want to go in according to the ways of Christ. In order to do that, you have to repent of the ways of the world. You can't be going to the ways of the world of coveting one another's goods to the men who exercise authority, praying to the fathers of the earth for those rewards of unrighteousness, as you have to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and start caring about one another as if you care, actually love your neighbor as yourself. So he carried unto Assyria for a, a present to King Jerob. Ephraim shall receive shame and Israel shall be ashamed of his own counsel. As for Samaria, her king is cut off as the foam upon the water. Tossed to and fro. The same metaphors of the waves. Tossed to and fro. 
you know, delivered unto Jerob. The high places also of Aven. Now, Aven. Where do we see that Aven? Well, Bet Aven. <laughs> Bet, Bet. That, that means the house. Te, Tav, a faith. Hey, an emphasizing word or letter that emphasizes that house. Aven. The sin of Israel shall be destroyed. The thorn, uh, the thistle shall come up and their altars. That's your systems of social welfare. Remember, altars aren't piles of stone where you burn up sheep. They're councils of men where you give your sacrifice to completely and they redistribute the wealth of your society. With the fruits of free will offerings, not forced offerings. Everybody tries to do it by force, but John the Baptist said, no, you do it by charity. Same message of Christ. All those people sitting in church listening to Steve, most of their charity is by force and therefore not charity, therefore making the word of God to none effect. They do see that something's wrong with Marxism. They do see something's wrong with socialism, but they don't see how deeply they are enmeshed in the blood of socialism and Marxism and not enmeshed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Because the blood of Jesus Christ is freely given. The blood of Marx is taken. The blood, uh, the benefits of unrighteousness, the rewards of unrighteousness are forced from the people. They are meat with blood in them. You need to go the other way. Now that, you can see a lot of people walking away from what we are telling you because that's scary. But your alternative is thorns and thistles and empty vines, which is where you're at. They shall say to the mountains, cover us, and to the hills, fall on us. Where did we hear something like that also? Isn't that in Revelations? You know, so what shelter have you depended upon? The shelter of Christ or the shelter of the world? Are you hidden away in the dens of the world, in the bubble of the world, seeing only the ways of the world? O Israel, thou hast sinned from the days of Gibeah. There they stood, the battle of Gibeah, against the children of iniquity, and did not overtake them. It is in my desire that I should chastise them and the people shall be gathered against them when they shall bind themselves in their two furrows. What Remember their divided heart? Divided furrows? Their, they shall bind themselves in their two furrows. What did he talk about? What were in the furrows of the field? Hemlock was in the furrow of the field. So you got a furrow of hemlock and a furrow of grain. These are the tares. You see the same reference to the tares in the field. It is my desire that I should chastise them in their two furrows. And Ephraim is as 
a heifer that is taught and loveth to tread out the corn. Remember that threshing field? Well, besides hitting it with flails, they would also have an ox treading out the floor. But here they say a heifer. It's interesting. We could look at the Hebrew. You can, there are many, many layers to this understanding, but what the, you want is a spiritual understanding of what I'm talking about. Because in these many, many layers, in the language of the Hebrews, uh, the, the meaning of the letters, there are hints and, uh, and code. This is that uh, will show you what we're talking about what they're, the prophets were talking about. But you cannot decipher that with your intellect. It is, Sherlock Holmes couldn't do it. You need the revelation of the Holy Spirit. And the revelation of the Holy Spirit comes through that door of Christ who said he laid down his life for his fellow man that he may pick up his life more abundant. Are you laying down your life for Christ? Are you casting your bread upon the waters? Are you sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands in order to love your neighbor as yourself? If you do that, the door shall be open. That is the knocking that God wants to see you do. And I passed over upon her fair neck. I will make Ephraim to ride. Judah shall plow. And Jacob shall break his clods. Well, there's a huge amount of uh, uh, symbolism in all that. And I have a link there to the altars of clay and stone, the clods. Uh, what what are they talking about? What What is really going on? Um, in verse 12 we see, So to yourselves in righteousness... Reap in mercy. Well, you cannot be sending men to your neighbor's house with a gun to force him to contribute so you can have free ambulance service in your county. That's not mercy. That's covetousness. So, you're not sowing righteousness and you're not reaping in mercy. You're sowing covetousness and you're reaping in force. So force shall come upon you. Break up your fellow ground. Fallow ground, excuse me. Break up your fallow ground. For it is time to seek the Lord till he comes and rain righteousness upon you. You, you want God to also rain mercy upon you. <laughs> So, you need to have mercy on others. Therefore, you need to develop a system that doesn't depend upon force, but upon love. Ye have plowed wickedness. Ye have reaped iniquity. Ye have eaten the fruit of lies. They promise you with great swelling words, deliver you from what? from the responsibility of taking care of one another. We will take care of one another. You don't have to do it. You don't have to do this with charity. Lady Godiva said, no, we have to do it by charity. Yes, we will be destroyed. She must have read Hosea. Because thou didst trust in the way, in the multitude 
of thy mighty men, those men who exercise authority, those benefactors who exercise authority one over the other, those fathers of the earth. Therefore shall the tumult arise amongst thy people. Have we seen that in riots? And all thy fortresses shall be spoiled. Now, all thy fortresses, there's a lot of other things that can come breaking down other than the target that they looted and burned and the other businesses that they looted and burned shall be spoiled as Shalman spoiled. And he says again here, but he says it a little bit different, Beth Harbel. And we could go through each of those letters and look at what he's talking about there. Because these again are symbols. In the day of battle, the mother was dashed in pieces upon her children. So shall Bethel do unto you. Because you, because of your great wickedness, in a morning shall the king of Israel utterly be cut off. We'll be right back. Well, welcome back. So, what did we just read in, in 10? It talks about uh, what shall a king do to us because we have no king. Uh, they, of course, weren't to have an actual physical king. God was to be the king over their hearts and minds. But then they decided to have a king, and God warned them what they would have. But he gave them a king. It was David, then, well, Saul, then David, then eventually down to Rehoboam, and then they divide it as a kingdom, which eventually they will call out, and God will not hear them. And so what shall a king, some other king, some other ruler do to us? And this was always the big threat. That people wanted to have a king, a city-state, a, a, you know, a Cain, a Nimrod, to protect them from the other people who gather together an army and come after them. But then who will protect them from their protector? The more you look to those kings of the world and the kings of flesh, the more you will be subject to the kings of flesh. So we have lots of people saying we have no king but Jesus. But is that just a statement? Like the many who say they follow Jesus, but he says, I know them not. Or do you really have no king but Jesus? How do I know you really have Jesus as your king? Well, one of the dead giveaways is that you would be doing what Jesus commanded. You'd be sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and living by faith, hope, and charity rather than uh, living in a system that exercises authority one over the other but calls themselves benefactors. You you would not be one of those people. You would be wanting to homeschool your children. You'd be wanting to create a private school and let kids come who couldn't afford to come to the school. And you would be doing those kinds of things. Rather than going to the men who exercise authority, you would be taking care of your parents yourself. You would be providing for the social welfare of the people that attend your church because your church would be the bride of Christ and the bride of Christ, the ministers do not beg at the foot of Caesar for their daily bread. They have their own daily bread, their own daily administration of free bread for the needy of their society and the practice of pure religion. But modern churches don't have that. They they don't provide the welfare of the people like they did in the days of Lady Godiva or the days of William uh, 
Penn or Thomas Jefferson. You you got those guys used to take care of the welfare of the people through faith, hope, and charity, like in the days of John the Baptist. But most of the people do it by force, fear, and fealty. And the people they swear fealty to, they swear false oaths and don't even keep their own agreements because you've made these covenants not in accordance to the ways of Christ, but in accordance to the ways of men and often in the ways of iniquity. So now when we come upon Hosea 11, he says, When Israel was a child, then I loved him and called him my son out of Egypt. He brought him out of Egypt. What was the bondage of Egypt? 20% of your labor belonged to the government. 20% of your labor every year went to the government one way or another. Either you went and worked for 20% of the year or 20% of what you produced of value through your labor went to the government. And they had a number of different ways to do that and we've talked about that many times. But that isn't the way it is with you. That's far more than 20% with you. We're just talking about people, you know, talking about uh, Swiss, uh, Sweden having all these uh, benefits, you know, free education. Although, you know, my, my daughter-in-law is from Sweden, uh, but she was in a private school. Uh, she taught, her father was a teacher in a private school and she taught in a private school. And I, I talked to her father uh, recently on a visit and he was saying that uh, now the government is offering money to the private school. And the more money they get from the government, the less the people are involved in the school. The less they participate and make sure the school is doing a good job with their children. Because they're slothful in the ways of righteousness. They don't see to the education of their children as much as they used to. They become a divided heart. They have two furrows. In one grows wheat and the other grows hemlock. Actually, they're all mixed up, but that's what he means by two furrows, two sources. In verse 2, and they called them, so they went from them. They sacrificed unto Balaam and burned incense to graven images. That's what you're doing. Balaam. Uh, Nicolaitan. The deeds of the Nicolaitans, they take care of one another through force, through forced offerings. They offer you entitlements, but those entitlements are the wages of unrighteousness. He says, I taught Ephraim also to go, taking them by their arms, but they knew not that I healed them. We've forgotten What made America great? It wasn't the Constitution. It was the charity that we provided for one another in social welfare and education and the care for our widows and orphans through charity. That's what made us great. That's what opened the door of Christ so that we could see the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of heaven could guide us. But our eyes have been darkened. Paul talks about looking through the glass darkly. Or dimly. Well, we've painted over the glass. We painted, we don't want to see the truth of our own traumatic wickedness. 
We deny the fact that we say, no, it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods to the men who exercise authority. It is not okay. The churches are tickling your ears and leading you back into the bondage of Egypt, where it's just where you are at today. I drew them with cords of a man, with bands of love. I was to them as they that take off the yoke on their jaws, and I laid meat unto them. He shall not return into the land of Egypt, but the Assyrian shall be his king, because they refused to return. So those are two statements. He's telling you not to go to the land of Egypt, but he also knows the Assyrian, the Asurus, the merchants of men, shall be his king because they refuse to return. And the sword shall abide on his cities and shall consume his branches and devour them because of their own counsels. You, I am counseling you to return to the ways of Christ, which is the ways of faith, hope, and charity. You have gone whoring after the unrighteous rewards, the rewards of unrighteousness, those benefits of men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority to educate, to care for the need of your society. And that, you have to think different than that. You have to think the ways of Christ. And my people are bent to backsliding from me. That's where you're backsliding from, is Christ. Going back to those two furrows, back to a divided heart. You're taking your hand off the plow. Though they called them to the Most High, none at all would exalt him. And that's what we're saying. If you're going to say you have no king but Jesus, then you need to be operating according to the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You need to be taking care of one another according to his righteousness in a righteous way, which is not force but charity. How shall I give thee up, Ephraim? How shall I deliver thee, Israel? How shall I make thee as Adma, Adama, you know, as Adam was before the fall? How shall I set thee as Zeboim? Mine heart is turned within me. My repentings are kindled together. Is God repenting of giving us the freedom that he had given us since we have rejected, we have sold those endowed rights for the benefits of men who give us nothing but what they take away from others? I will not execute the fierceness of mine anger. I will not return to destroy Ephraim. For I am God and not man, the Holy One, in the midst of thee, and I will not enter into the city. They shall walk after the Lord. He shall roar like a lion when he shall roar. Then the children shall tremble from the west. They shall tremble as a bird out of Egypt, 
as a dove out of the land of Assyria, and I will place them in their houses, saith the Lord. Sounds like good news. Ephraim compasseth me about with lies, and the house of Israel with deceit. But Judah yet ruleth with God, and is faithful with the saints. Well, that always wasn't the case. Judah wasn't always faithful with the saints. But that's where we need to go. That's what that's what he's talking about. That's what he's trying to impart to us is that we need to go this other way. This this way of righteousness and destruction awaits us otherwise. And in the side panel on the page, I have, you know, sacrifice unto Balaam and I have links there so you can go read about Balaam and understand what that is, what it means to burn incense to graven images. Um you know, I have a whole article on incense so you understand the, the symbolism of, of these things. And they talk about Balaam and Balaam and the Nicolaitans are all one and the same, all part of the same systems made uh, by the hand of men, which are also called graven images. That's our institutions that we make with our own hands when we sign those agreements. We create these institutions and we try to make these institutions a substitute for God writing upon our hearts. This idea, and I've made several references to it, of this spiritual door of Christ opening and closing. If you want to draw near God so that you can knock on his door, knock on the door of Christ, you have to sacrifice Sacrifice your time, sacrifice your delusions, sacrifice your effort, your energies. In whatever form you choose to do so, you have to sacrifice. Because that is how you draw near, that's where the word Corbin comes from, the word to draw near God, so that you can knock on the door of Christ. He shall open it. You're not going to open the door. No striving on your part is going to force God to open that door. But repentance has to be an action. It's an action word. It's changing the way you think. But one of the ways that change the way you think is the practice of pure religion. It is going, being that doer of the word. Going that other way. If you say, I believe in Jesus, but I can't come. I got to go do this other stuff. You know, I, I really like the music over this at this church because they really tickle my ears and make me feel so good. I'm not doing good. I'm still dependent upon the benefactors who exercise authority even though Christ forbid us to do that. But it feels so good. I want to stay here. But I have no king but Jesus. And I swear allegiance to Jesus but I'm not going to do what he says. Well, that's a false oath. You're claiming to believe in Jesus but you're not doing what he said. And he says, it's not those who say, Lord, Lord, but those who do it the will of the Father. And he may have said that before the crucifixion, but it goes for after the crucifixion. So in Revelation 2, 6, we see, But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And what are those deeds? 
coveting their neighbor's goods to the agency of men who exercise authority, which makes them merchandise and curses their children, especially when they borrow against the future and make you surety for debt. All of which has been a done deal. He shall not return into the land of Egypt, but to the Assyrians. And I show you that that word... Uh, that they translate in Assyria is, uh, is this, uh, Elif, Shen, Vav, Resh. And, and Resh has to do with authority, and Vav has to do with separation, and Elif has to do with the relationship of God and men. And so, I'll let you figure out what Shen means. <laughs> But anyway, the, it is it is the Asuru who separates us from God because he gets us to desire, covet the benefits of these Canaanites, these merchants of men. And we need to repent of that. So anyway, and I go on, uh, show... Uh, the Assyrians shall be his king. They shall rule over you. Because that's who you pray to for your benefits. Because they refuse to return. The Asurus or Asuras, like the Canaanites, were the merchants of the earth that they talk about in Revelations. And that make merchandise the human resources of men. So who is the faithful with the saints? Ephraim compasseth me a about with lies. The second Peter two eighteen talks about for when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through much wantonness, that's the desire for those benefits, and the fear of not having those benefits, those that were clear escaped from them who live in error. Who lives in error the Nicolaitans? The error of the Nicolaitans. They think it's okay to cover your neighbor's goods through the agency of men who exercise authority. It is not okay. It is is absolutely not okay. In Jude one sixteen, they say these are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts. And their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. What advantage? The wages of unrighteousness, the rewards of unrighteousness. This is what Jude is talking about. So they're, they're all talking about the same thing Hosea was talking about from the beginning. You know, so what are we missing? What are we not understanding? <laughs> you know, uh, when you, you read in, in, uh, uh, Jude 16, the, what they're, uh, he's, he's, he's talking about, these are murmurs. You can go back to, uh, and Enoch also, the seventh from Adam prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousand of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly 
they have their gods, but they're, they're gods many. Amongst them of all their ungodly deeds, which is taking care of the needy by force and not pure religion, which they have ungodly committed. And of all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Hard speeches, that would be something worth studying. I'll let you guys do that on your own. So, what you want to do is open that door to the kingdom of heaven. Just before we went into the funeral, somebody was asking me a question about that, uh, you know, what is His Holy Church's teachings on heaven and hell? Uh, and ask what I talk about that. And His Holy Church is Christ. Christ is His Holy Church. Uh, the church is an institution of Christ. So what, what did Christ say about heaven and hell? Very little. What does the Bible say about heaven and hell? Very little. They seem to be realms. Other places, one, one preacher once said that, uh, that heaven is actually a place and hell is actually a place. And they are. But then he doesn't understand quantum physics. We live in a multi, multi-dimensional universe. Heaven and hell is here right around us now. And we have access to both of those dimensions right now. We may not have control over that access, but I can tell you this, if you get angry, resentful, judgmental, selfish, proud, arrogant, unfeeling, you're opening a door to hell with those choices that you're making, the deeds that you make. You know, somebody was talking, I think it was Steve was actually talking about how, uh, talking about necromancy and uh, conjuring up the dead, that you, you know, this is why they say, you know, say her name. Uh, you have to say the names of these people uh, that supposedly died and uh, they they believe that that brings the power together of the people that died and they're conjuring up and they walk with us when we say their name this is a religion Black Lives Matter institution is one of the graven images it's one of the institutions of men but it's not fashioned after the ways of God. It wants to destroy the family. It wants to destroy. It is willing to absolutely destroy society and everything in the vineyards and the fields and bring about starvation uh, if it can't get its way. It is the spirit of destruction. And that's what they want you to do with their chants. That's why you hear these chants. Is this is a religious institution. This is the religion you have. You get when you have no pure religion. So they're literally wanting to conjure up spirits from this other realm. The realms of evil. And they call evil good. And they're not the only one. Antifa is not too much different. They're, they just don't have as good a chance. <laughs> they don't have the, the beat. But what are you doing to open up the doors of heaven? Approaching the door of heaven. Is your Corbin the Corbin of the Pharisees or is it the Corbin of Christ through free will offerings? Are you sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands? Are you gathering together in these, these masses, numbered in these masses where you 
are seeking the benefits of unrighteousness. Because if you are, if you're going the way of the Corbin of the Pharisees, you're closing the door. You're going to be like the foolish virgins and the, the door will be shut unto you. You not only want to, to move in the direction of the kingdom of God through the sacrifice of the heart, sacrificing your delusions first, and then laying down your life daily for your fellow man in the practice of pure religion instead of the covetous practices of the world, which is what most of your churches have been doing and depending upon. You will actually open a door to the kingdom of God and more light shall come in your life and you shall see things that you did not see before. And your life will not be meaningless meaningless, and you will not go in the ways of destruction and you will not go up on a hill and shoot yourself. You will not need your depression medication anymore. It will fall away from you. Because there won't be any reason to be depressed. Because you can see the light of heaven like Stephen did. He could see it because he would not give in to the Corbin of the Pharisees and the pressure that they put on him. You have not seen the pressure that is coming. He daily increases, increaseth lies and desolation. And they do make a covenant with the Assyrians. And oil is carried into Egypt, into bondage. Your oil is carried into bondage. You want the oil of God, the oil of righteousness. And that comes by being willing to see the truth and act upon it. To see the whole truth and provide for it, as Patrick Henry said. The Lord hath also a controversy with Judah. Now Judah had followed the king, but he has a controversy. And will punish Jacob according to his ways, according to his doings. Will he recompense him? Anyway, we'll have to continue this later because we're out of time. Join the network. Sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Start seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness according to the ways of Jesus Christ. Till then, peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.